Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish. Yes. Tell me, what are you drinking today? Have we talked about your stance on decaf yet? Do you have a stance? Um, I do have a stance on decaf, and it is um, not good. (laughs) Right. Me too. And I'm 43, and that has been my stance uh, pretty much since I started drinking coffee, which was maybe 23 years ago. But here I am drinking decaf, and it's not because I love it, but it's because I, as you know, have been on a quest for getting better sleep and rest. And I am experimenting with my caffeine cutoff time. So it's mm. this week I'm experimenting with noon, and yet I was really craving coffee, and I have coffee in the freezer for when people come over and drink decaf. Uh, decaf. So I brewed a bunch of beans and did a pour over and it's not bad, but it's not great. So my oh, answer well, is average decaf coffee is what I'm drinking right now. Well, that's good. You know, this week we found out um, that we accidentally bought a batch of coffee from a local roaster uh that was decaf the local roaster is airship i think i've talked a little bit about airship on this before <laughs> yeah you have my dear friend mark bray is the airship guy and he he does great things with coffee um and one morning i got a bag of his coffee and i drank it and i thought hmm, it's not bad it's kind of interesting but it doesn't feel right and about 11 o'clock i had a massive headache and then I looked at the bag and realized that we had accidentally <laughs> bought decaf. Um, right. But for decaf, it was actually pretty good. That's a compliment. It really is. So yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't terrible anyway. Well, we'll see if I keep drinking this. I don't know. But it's it's scratching the itch of just wanting coffee. We kind of got a cool front this morning and I just wanted coffee. So yeah. that's why I'm drinking yeah. it. Anyway. All right. So, what are you drinking? Well, I'm drinking the Devil's Brew, the Elixir of Death, Poison in a Bottle, all of the negative things. And no, for those of you wondering, I have not fallen off the wagon. I'm not drinking whiskey. Right. Uh, at the time of recording, which is like almost two o'clock or at two o'clock, um, I'm drinking Diet Coke. Oh, man. Okay. Why? Yeah. it's it, That kind of came out of left field for you, didn't it? Um, I'm not a huge soda pop drinker. Yeah. But I've had so much water today and um, I've like, I've really gone after it with water. Um, And when I got my lunch, uh, which as we talked about beforehand, sitting here (laughs) to the right on the first episode of Eats with a Friend. Right. um, When I got my lunch, I thought, I just don't want water. Mm -hmm. So I got a Diet Coke and um, it's everything that I remember about Diet Coke, (laughs) which is terrible and addictive. That's, That's really all I can tell you about this drink that I'm drinking is that it's both terrible and addictive, but it's doing something for me at two in the afternoon. I don't know how this bodes well for this conversation we're going to have. We're both drinking beverages we don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. And I just took another drink and um, I, I'll describe it. I mean, the the, the uh, mouthfeel of it is airy, velvety, but also has like a, it's like having a thousand crabs pinching your tongue. Right. Like miniature crabs pinching your tongue at the same time. Um, I would say that the, I get like strong hints, like even notes of uh, chemicals, uh-huh. probably uh, from Monsanto is what it tastes like. <laughs> Most um, likely. Yeah. And then there is this uh, just gut punch of sweet that is not sugar. 
Yeah. That's, oh. that's how this stuff tastes. Yeah. It's, it's the fakeness that I think kills. Um, it literally tastes like plastic. I'm fairly sure that after this episode, Coke will never reach out to us to uh, endorse yeah. their products. Uh, do you know the comedian James A. Castor? We might have already I, talked about him. I do he's not. A, he's a British comedian. He's fantastic. He's very weird. He's not for everyone. He talks about how Dr. Pepper tastes like a sexy battery. And <laughs> so I'm trying to think of what's the equivalent for Diet Coke, but it's in that range. I wouldn't call it sexy. I would maybe call it like a middle-aged or having a li- midlife crisis battery. Um, I just, I can't drink sodas either. I, I cannot. It's been over a decade since I drank them regularly and I taste them and it's just instant liquid candy, but like carbonated the way my 10 year old would or something. I don't know. It's just so off to me. At Easter, I did have a half of a Coca-Cola because I, mm-hmm. I had to use it for cooking it, yeah. because obviously we're from the South. So you pour that junk yep. over meat and then you braise it forever. But in any event, um, you know, you do that instead of wine because then you feel less bad or something. If you're, if you're raised evangelical, I don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I had a half of a Coke and it was delightful. And when I was finished, I thought I definitely couldn't drink another half. Like mm-hmm. I, I have reached my threshold. Yeah. It's funny. I think it's a combination of, you know, when you've been off for so long, it, the taste is overload saccharin um, and just age. Like I just can't do that kind yeah. of stuff anymore. It hurts instant pain. I, you know, teach high schoolers and I just watch them, you know, we're, we're doing movie because it's the last week of school. So we're doing movie classes, you know, watching silence and <laughs> they just bring out these giant tubs of goldfish, just giant. I'm like, Mm-mm. How can you be, how can your body sustain itself? Oh, that's right. You're 18. That's how. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. My son was talking yesterday about Swiss rolls. You remember Swiss rolls? Uh-huh. They're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. This. So this is, again, first episode of Eats with a Friend, evidently. Right. Um, we were talking about Swiss rolls and I thought, oh man, that sounds amazing. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, nope, those aren't, there's a reason I haven't had one since I was 21. That's right. That's right. Oh, I just. Sugar in general, I can't do anymore. It hurts too much. It's not worth it. Not worth it. So I we think sound we, old. To, we do sound <laughs> old and that's fine. So if there's anyone out there that's listening and has any of these sort of guilty pleasures that you love, yeah. please tweet to us and tell mm-hmm. us that one thing that you know is for 10 year olds, but that you just can't quit. Right. Because we all have it. We all have our version of, you know, gas station drive through snacks of some sort that we're ashamed of. Yeah, I mean it's true. It's true. Yeah. I I do. I will regularly um, find my way through the Sonic drive-through in the summer for a cherry limeade. There you go. Oh yeah, that that I can support. That's not. I that mean, bad. I do. I do. Yeah. I, it's. it's I mean, I've been doing it since I was fourteen, fifteen, and I'll probably do it till the day I die. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, so. This chat we're having is just a continuation of last week's chat because this is just round two. We're just, you know, pouring another round and talking about the idea of slower, but maybe piggybacking on to that with maybe a little bit more about farther. But tell me a little bit of what's on your mind in particular about this, because I know it's connected to what you've been doing with trail running, but also, um, I don't know, just you've had some deep thoughts on the internets lately. So... Why don't you unpack them in front of us? Yeah. Um, you know, we live, I mean, you know this, we've talked about this before. We live in a really uh, instant society. I mean, mm-hmm. everything is instant. Everything is fast. 
you know, we used to lament this when we were growing up, when we would talk about macaroni and cheese. Because if you ever, if you grew up in the 80s, 70s, 90s, um, you are probably old enough to remember the old ladies at church who made macaroni and cheese from scratch Mm -hmm. and that it was amazing. And then you would go home and you'd put the craft macaroni and cheese with the flavor packet, the cheese packet and mix it all up. It is never quite the same, but you just voraciously ate that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to lament instant back in the day when we were talking about food, you know, instant mashed potatoes, instant macaroni and cheese, uh, the microwave effect, all of these things. But that's only really exacerbated uh, as time has gone on. You know, now we have instant communication. You know, anyone can text you at any time immediately. You're supposed to drop everything you're doing and respond to them. We have instant community. Right. So if I said right now on this podcast that you and I were opening up a Facebook group, which we are not. I was just going to say, disclaimer. Not not (laughs) happening. Nope. But if, but if we were, it would immediately be populated by some people, you know, maybe two, maybe 20, who knows? Yeah. But it's a sort of pop up instant community. I can go start a new Twitter account and follow the right people and they'll follow me back. It's instant friends. Yeah. And now more than ever, we have this sort of instant uh, hot take. You know, you can you can jump on and have a hot take about anything. So today, as we were recording this, um, Liz Cheney was sort of removed from leadership in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And man, are the hot takes crazy right now. Yeah. They're just all over the place on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I actually don't know if they're on Facebook. I assume they are, but I don't check that anymore. So I don't either. Yeah. I do know they're on Twitter. I do know they're on Instagram. So, I mean, just immediately watching the instant communication of her removal and the instant responses to that. And, mm-hmm. and, and I just think we live in such an instant sprint society and long-term, man, I think it makes us neurotic. So yeah. I've really been thinking about what does it take to, to do something that is not instant that is slow, but it's slow for the purpose of building something that is lasting, doing something that out, you know, outkicks the coverage, that goes a long, long, long way, um, mm-hmm. that builds sort of endurance and fortitude and lasts. Yeah. And so to me, you know, it, it's, it's inspiring to think that we can endeavor to do things slow so that we can go farther. Yeah. Uh, so that things will last. Last, last, uh, you know, comment, and I'll let you riff. I have a friend, um, we've talked about him on this episode before. His name is Nicholas. Nicholas has a enormous spreadsheet for his grass. It is unbelievable. And and if this sounds like the most boring thing in the world to you, you're right. Yeah. It, it is. It sounds um, boring. It's terrible. It's terribly boring. But when he talks about it, he just lights up. And if you really were to dig underneath his why, uh, it really has nothing to do with getting beautiful grass next summer. It is so that he can create a landscape that is healthy, that is vibrant, that outlasts him and and does it for decades and decades and decades that that Mm -hmm. creates a healthy environment and ecosystem for the rest of his plants for the rest of his landscaping. I mean, he literally wants grass that looks like the evening of Tuscany in his front yard. Right. And so, and, and how did they do it in Tuscany? 
right? They had yeah. a long mindset. Like we're going to create something slowly that is going to last for decades and decades and decades and centuries. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's got my wheels turning a lot lately, which is hence, yeah, hence trail running, but we can talk about that more later. Well, you know, I think the idea of farther and slower dovetail perfectly because I I kind of feel like you almost can't have one without the other or you can't have farther without the slower without mm-hmm. burning out, without being mm-hmm. a maniac, maybe. You know, we talked last week about this idea of the instant hot take and that not only do we feel pressured societally to always have some kind of comment on the latest news, you know, be it Liz Cheney or whatever's going to happen tomorrow, right? But we also wonder if silence equals endorsement if somebody we feel like we can trust doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, And so I alluded to that one story of the one person who claimed that she unsubscribed from me because I didn't comment on a news event that happened while I was in book writing mode and I didn't even know it happened. And so I think it's a disservice both to those who feel compelled to have to say something and to expect that on the receiving end to ask of our people that really, if we think about, we want them to do slow work because we want them to go farther. We want them to last a long time. We should not expect to hear from them about every single thing, or even just the things that we think are important. We shouldn't read into that. I don't know. It's like, I I don't know what Stephen Colbert's take is on free range eggs. I don't know. I just, whatever, but I don't need to know. And if I felt like I, I, it was a requirement for me that he commented on that for me to keep appreciating the other things he talks about, then that's not a good place for me to be in as a, consumer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But that's where we are. I mean, where we are is um, everyone wants to know everything about what you think and they want to know it now. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this actually just bleeds into the rest of life. I mean, everyone wants results and they want them now. So here's a good example of that. Um, I have been doing, you know, this, we've talked about this CrossFit now for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some things that I still just can't get my head around. Um, I just can't do them. Um, now part of that's cause I'm 43. I'm not nearly as athletic as I used to be, but the, the owner of the gym, uh, Jess, um, sh- she will say, well, that's, that's coming. Like just keep doing these little things hmm. and y- you'll get there. Um, and then I'll say like, man, I feel like I'm never going to get there. And she'll say, dude, you've been doing this a year. Um, and she is one of those women that uses the word dude, which I really love. Uh, so yeah. that was actual voicing. Uh, she'll say, dude, you've been doing this a year. Uh, give it five years. And mm-hmm. just to think like, ooh, I'm going to have to wait five years, be 48 before I can do X, Y, Z. And she's not saying like you're never going to get there because you're too old or mm-hmm. you can't do this or whatever. She's just saying this is a long, slow process of building the right technique, the right muscle, the right endurance so that you can do X, Y, and Z. And I think this is one of the things that nature teaches us, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. working out is physiology, it's nature. So there Mm -hmm. is a physiological truth that I can't go into a gym and after six months do, you know, a ring muscle up. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Again, not athletic enough, uh, too old, 
But over time, could I? Well, yeah. I mean, they tell me I can, and I believe it. I've seen people my age do it. Mm-hmm. But the same is true in actual nature. Amber today yeah. um, sort of unplugged a little bit and got out in the garden, and she's been, you know, planting flowers and planting, uh, you know, stuff that's going to come into season late in the summer and arranging flowers and picking flowers and, and playing in the dirt essentially um, as all good Southern girls do, but she's been playing in the dirt for the purpose of creating something that is actually not going to come to fruition until later in the year. Um, Nature tells us that this is the way. And yet we are trying to beat that system and say, yeah, this is what nature tells us is the right way, the long way, the slow way. And yeah, we're going to do it the instant way. Screw you, nature. (laughs) Right. And to piggyback onto that gardening analogy, you know, every seven years, you're supposed to lay a plot of ground fallow where, you know, roughly, I mean, for a farmer, um, you not only do crop rotation, you know, where one year you plant, I don't know, corn and the next year you plant something else, wheat. Um, just so that you don't deplete soil all of one nutrient, but you're also supposed to take time off or let the soil take time off. And you think, gosh, but you're not going to yield, you know, however much that particular acreage would yield that year. You're cutting yourself yourself short, but the idea is longevity. Yeah. You know, it's to not burn out your field altogether to where it won't grow at all. It's so that it can go another seven years after the year off. And so I think there's great analogies to that as well when it comes to Sabbaths and sabbaticals. And that could probably be its own episode because I have a lot to say about that. Uh, some of my longer term listeners and readers know that I took a sabbatical for the first time in 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019, where I took a month off of work. I, you know, had been working for 12 years and hardly took time off. And it showed in every way. Like I would take a couple of weeks off here and there, but I did not take a good long break. And that scared me because I was not loving my work. I was very cynical about it and had a lot of thoughts about it. And yet I also loved it enough to where I wanted to keep doing it. When I think of my work, I mean, writing, you know, it's like, if I want to be a writer lifelong, like if I want to be in my seventies and still working on a book, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that what's that phrase? Like what got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. And so it's like working incessantly for 12 years is not going to get me there. So I, I decided in summer 2018 to take a sabbatical the next summer. So it took me a whole year to plan. So I had to plan for basically making 12 months worth of income in 11 months. I had to work on having my assistant do things to protect me. I had to delete apps off my phone. I had to, you know, let my battery drain and my laptop, whatever it is. And it was phenomenal. Like I had the best month ever. And I came back to work so excited about what I did, but I needed that. So to me, there's, there's a lot with that as well. Yeah. And I think that's the, that should be the goal. The goal should be to slow down from time to time to go slower so that your life has real longevity. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I've actually been fascinated by this thought. I've actually fallen down and and again, we've, we've mentioned some of these in past shows. You can go back and look at the show notes and, and see the, the video recommendations I have about ultra running. Like I've been very fascinated um, by this when watching these ultra running videos. I mean, these are elite athletes and they're running paces that seem 
like not elite paces. I mean, mm. if you were to crunch some of these paces down, you're looking at like 18 minutes a mile, you know, um, which sounds ridiculously slow. Yeah. But if you if you are saying it's eighteen minutes a mile over two hundred miles, it, it begins to you begin to think like, oh, whoa, no, no, that's something. That's achievement, right? You've you've made your human body go two hundred miles on your feet, um, and the only way you can do that is by slowing yourself down, mm-hmm. um, by taking like very intentional rests. Some of these people will lie down on the side of the trail and take a twenty minute nap. Um, they'll get to aid stations and they'll sit and they'll eat a meal and they'll have someone massage their feet. And, um, you know, th- it's this slow, intentional process of chipping away at the mileage so that you can go the complete distance so that yeah. you can go farther. And some of these CrossFit workouts that we do, you jump in, you know, you do the strength portion of the day and then they start the clock and you do this workout of the day, right? And the workout of the day, maybe eight minutes. Um, some t- mm-hmm. today it was 20 minutes, right? But it may be eight minutes, but in that eight minutes, the idea is that you gash yourself to death and you go as hard as you can so that by the end of it, you're lying on the floor crying for your mother, right? right. It's a sprint. It's not long and slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I've been trying to do to train myself to go long and slow is to say, okay, if I come up against one of these workouts where I have an eight minute sprint, then I'm going to take about three or four minutes to catch my breath afterwards. And I'm just going to hop on a rower and I'm going to very slowly pull on that rower and push with my legs for 20, 30, 40 minutes. You know, I'm going to do a 10 K on the rower. And why do I do that? Do I do that because I want to be in incredible physical shape? I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe, maybe the fear of death is knocking or something. I don't know, but I'm trying to train my body that, the the result that I want, which is longevity, it's fitness for life. It's a long way of living. Um, I'm trying to train my body to say this does not come and will not come through sprints. Mm. It comes through patient, dedicated, long, slow bouts of effort. Mm. And that is what particularly I think um, – uh, inspires me as uh, you know an American man growing up in a in a time when there seems to be a whole lot of loss and despair mm-hmm. um, and deaths of despair among my demographic uh, because results don't come as yeah. easily as maybe they used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit of that parenting phrase I've heard since I was a kid, the idea of the years, what is it? The the days are long, but the years are short. Mm-hmm. You know, time goes by really quickly, but in the thick of it, in the day to day, it's a lot of ordinary nothing. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you're not getting anywhere. And I wonder, like when you say demographic, I presume you mean like early middle age, somewhere yeah. in the like late 30s to 50, maybe. Um I wonder if there's something to that where you're, you know, we're halfway through life, we still have a long way to go, and we feel like we should be somewhere and we're not yet. And we see these young people, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's a weird feeling to have teenagers and to start not understanding slang or technology Mm -hmm. or humor. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel it, 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 I don't know, it's off putting. 
And I don't know. I wonder if there's something to that. I know, you know, what you're talking about is much deeper, but I wonder if there's just a lot of layers of feeling like I might be forgotten or my life might just be snuffed out with no meaning or purpose. Yeah. If I'm, yeah. What's fascinating about the demographic, yes, I do, you know, I do mean sort of that early, uh, you know, late early to middle aged uh, season of life. But what's fascinating about the demographic, when you look at things like addiction and deaths of despair in particular, which are deaths by uh, addiction, alcohol, drugs, suicide, when you look at that deaths of despair demographic, it's actually creeping downward. And I have some theories on this that are not scientific. But I happened to spend some time um, last week with a group of 18 to 28, 29-year-old quote-unquote influencers. Mm-hmm. And I was brought in for the sole purpose of being the old person to talk to the influencers about <laughs> things to look out for as you influence away, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and it was really fascinating. And, and you know, some of these people in the room, one of them in particular is is highly influential behind an influencer. He's not really on Instagram or Twitter or any of these things. Sure. Um, and so he had some really wise things to say. But a lot of these mm-hmm. people are, you know, 19, 20 years old and have massive platforms. Mm-hmm. And and so what we see, even in these deaths of despair, is that the demographic is actually creeping downward. It's creeping down into the 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is because now people expect more than ever that they are clever enough to be just as famous as influencer X and I'm 25 years old and that hasn't happened for me yet. Um, and my options are limited and, you know, it's a COVID year. I can't really go out and work the same way and I can't get any traction on my quote unquote platform. Um, people just feel really purposeless and pointless mm-hmm. and hopeless. And it's because I think they don't have this idea of slower and farther. Build slowly, build the right way, go farther. And if we could have the hope of going the distance instead of the hope of being instantly famous, I think that would change a lot of things. Hmm. That's so interesting. I mean, I was talking with my kids this week about the idea of internet and screen addiction. And I was telling them, you know, for me, it's not so much that I'm concerned that you guys are necessarily looking at all sorts of evil things. For me, I mean, there's always that, you know, so I'm not naive. But um, to me, what really I think about in the day to day is the shallows. It's this uh, just really dumb stuff that keeps your brain on the surface and not going deep. And my daughter, God bless her, said, well, I hear what you mean, but I like I follow political or, you know, stuff. And I I listened to those, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I dug a little deeper and asked her where she got her info info from. And long story short, it's just from, honestly, people, she's 16, at most 10 years older than her, you know, it's quote thought leaders. And I think she thinks that because it's about like social justice issues or things that aren't just about like dance moves and makeup, then it's deep. And what she's missing out on is the wisdom from elders and from those who have gone farther and just, I mean, I know I sound like get off my lawn kind of (laughs) old man yells at cloud, but there is something to be said about people that just have earned the right to know more because they've been through more, you know? Yeah. We have a couple at our uh, church that I love, and I don't know exactly how old they are, but they have to be 
in their late 80s. Mm. He definitely has to be in his late 80s. And every time he opens his mouth, which is pretty rare, whatever <laughs> he says is it's like, I mean, it just rings your bell every time. Mm. We were in this little uh, prayer group with him and he hadn't really said anything uh, for like two or three weeks. And and finally the leader said, hey, would you feel free to share your, your prayer for the week? And as he did, like everyone starts crying <laughs> because this guy has has learned how to write patient, slow, simple prayers uh, that really ring true. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is uh, a really important facet of life is the longer uh, and the farther we go, the more wisdom we have to speak to others along the way. And, and to go back again to the trail running analogy, I've been really trying to hit the trails and try to learn how to go farther and farther and farther. And it is not easy. It is incremental. I mean, every day is is reminding yourself, this is for the purpose of something that isn't going to be here for another three months or six months or eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and my ultimate goal, I mean, won't be here for years. Mm. And there is a, a guy, this is my building that I work, where I work, and he's run a hundred miler. And I'm constantly going to him and saying, hey, look, you know, what do I need to think about with this? Or how, you know, what kind of shoes do I need to think about? Or what kind of vest do I need to use? And how often do I hydrate? When do I need to put calories in? And how should I approach these aid stations? I'm asking him all these questions because he has proven that he can go the distance. Mm-hmm. He has proven that he can go farther because he goes slower. In fact, he ran um, what was called the Leadville 100. Hmm. And he told me, it's a hundred miler in Colorado. It's above altitude. I mean, it's just a brutal race. And he told me there was a point where he intentionally backed off on his pace because he was afraid he was, he was going to gas himself. And as a result of that, he reached one of the cutoff points and he was like a minute behind and should have not been allowed to go on. Hmm. And the, the gatekeeper there at that cutoff point looked at him and said, no, you actually look really strong. Keep going ah. and, pu- and pushed him through. And he took a risk, right? Because uh, he knew that slowing down meant that he might miss the cutoff. But he also saved his strength because he slowed down and he was able to go farther. And as a result of that, he ended up finishing the race, you know, under the cutoff. Hmm. Um, so again, there's just all this, you know, wisdom to be learned from others who have gone the distance and yeah. from those who have gone slower and farther. And I think often about uh, the way that plays out in social media, you know, there's no guarantee that the algorithms won't change tomorrow. And so listening to a 26-year-old influencer talk to me about whatever, and they may not even be there tomorrow. Right. And so um, what we we have to do, I think, as, as people is just begin to slow down, think, and listen to the people who have proven that they can go the distance, and then become people who are able to go the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts for listeners who are who are maybe in career fields that are not ours, you know, we're writers. And I think an easy takeaway for us is write the book, right? Like don't spend so much time writing tweets and Instagram captions, actually make sure you also write long form. But what about perhaps like um, stay at home parents or those who work office jobs or teachers or lawyers, you know, naming our other two professions, or just other types of work, like what's takeaway for all of us in having a posture of going farther and not uh, quicker, do you think? I, th- I, you know, 
I would I would hate to try to give advice and counsel for every uh, profession, <laughs> right? Because every profession moves at a different pace. Yeah. While we've been sitting here, I've gotten two text messages from clients. I mean, it's just going to happen. It just the the pace of things is so fast in some professions, and it's just not in others, and and that's okay. In, instead of looking at particular advice in particular job fields, I, I I like to bring it back to embodiment always, and this is something that I've learned from Amber. This is not something that is just like in me, it should be because I believe so much in the sacramental reality and, 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 you know, the major sacrament of creation is the human expression, right? So embodiment should be uh, in me innately, but Amber's really taught me this. So one of the things that I, uh, you know, that she says all the time is you've got to get in your body. You've got to get out of your head. You've got to get in your body. And as a, you know, person who is in his head a lot, um, I can run that risk. And so I try as hard as I can to constantly put myself in my body. So what does that mean? When I'm thinking about slower, farther, then I want to do things in my body that cultivate a mindset of slower, farther. Hmm. So again, on a day when I'm doing a sprint workout, I'm going to spend 20 to 30 minutes going slower and farther afterwards. And I know it's going to take some time. It's going to eat some time out of my day, but I'm going to make the time to do that because it's important to cultivate the mindset of going the distance. So, you know, to the listener, if you're not cultivating practices of going the distance, that doesn't mean you have to go, you know, prepare for a hundred miler. That's not what I'm saying. Um, That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do any sort of particular workout. Although you can, you can begin to walk like you talked about I was just going to talk week. about walking. Yeah. Yeah. You can just walk and say, you know, today I can only walk 30 minutes, but my goal is to be able to walk for an hour and a half. Right. Um, but, but you can also translate that bodily experience to other things. Yeah. Um, again, Nicholas, my friend spends a lot of time in his body working on his grass. <laughs> something to go a long way out in the future. Grass may yeah. not be your deal. Cool. Get it. Not my deal. Never going to do it. Yeah. Um, but Amber spends a lot of time in her body tending to the garden so that, you know, something comes of it much uh, down the road, further yeah. down the road. So I think one of the things that we need to really, really work on is getting in our bodies and cultivating practices of going farther. And maybe for some of you, that does mean, you know what, I'm going to run a 25K or a 50K or a 100K or a 100 miler. Um, If that's your bag, if you enjoy it, try it. Try training for it and see what happens as you cultivate that mindset of slower and farther. Mm -hmm. I really like that idea. And I hadn't connected the dots, but I think Amber and you are both so right. And that speaks into why I've gotten so into gardening during the pandemic and also walking. Because walking is not, I mean, honestly, it's not productive. You don't get to the store faster. You get there much slower, mm-hmm. but that's not the point. I I can think of other examples. You know, Caroline, my assistant, who I thank at the end of every episode, I've noticed on Instagram, she's been doing a paint by number for weeks and weeks now. I have one as well. And she's inspired me to pick it back up. But it's just this, it, and it sounds tacky. It's not the kind that we used to get at craft stores that are like, you know, bad yeah. paint and pictures. It's beautiful. And she's painting it. I am sure she could do something much faster, you know, create something on a photo yeah. editing app 
add a few pixels and make it look paint-like, but it's not the actual work of, you know, dipping a paintbrush in and, and, and painting. And I love that she's doing it for the act of creating a painting. And there's all sorts of examples. You know, Kyle's a woodworker. He has never once created something because it's it's faster than going to Target and getting it there. Uh, he yeah. never, never does woodworking for efficiency. I mean, he's never, we're not renovating this house because it's faster at all. But he finds great satisfaction in knowing the ins and outs of every nook and cranny of this house. And so there is something to be said about all of us, no matter what profession we're in, to find some form of slowing down in our daily life for the purpose of it taking longer yeah. so that we can go farther. So I think yeah. that's a really smart, smart idea. That's my charge. Figure cool. out ways to cultivate the mindset of going slower so that you can go farther. And if you've enjoyed this and have additional thoughts, then you should let us know on Twitter or let mm-hmm. Tish know on our Instagram because that's <laughs> always a fun place to talk or um, at the little coffee shop that we run, which we can talk about later. But yeah, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> how do you go slower and farther? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to know because there's got to be other ways. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah. So Tish. Yes. Tell me, Mm -hmm. what is one thing that you are reading, watching, or listening to that is making your life a little bit truer, more beautiful, more gooder? Mm -hmm. Can I use the word gooder since we're trying (laughs) to use... No, you cannot. We're writers. We're trying to be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So speaking of doing something slowly, on Mother's Day weekend, last weekend, one of my gifts from Kyle was uh, Time to Sew, which is Mm. always something or nearly always something I ask for because I love to sew, but I almost never do it. And he asked me what I wanted to listen to while I sewed. And I have, I mean, I love music. I'm always making playlists. I I love music. But for the past few months, I hadn't been listening to a lot of music just because I've been listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And I was just getting burned out on people telling me what they think. Yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, I need to listen to some music. So I remembered finding this artist named John Van Dusen. I found him while I was working on my Lent book um, earlier this year and bookmarked him and thought, I really want to listen to him more. So I've been listening to John Van Dusen. He is, um, I. this sounds weird, but to me, sometimes he sounds like Sufjan Stevens. Sometimes he sounds like Paul Simon. Huh. Sometimes he sounds like the lead singer of Broken Bells, who I cannot remember. He's also with the Shins. But um, he's really eclectic, but he's really... Good. And I especially like his trilogy of albums uh, called Origami. And I think the volume one came out in 2017 and volume three came out late last year. So it's all recent stuff. And it's I don't like every song, but I like most of them. And so it was really nice just to have him on in the background. I like his words. I like his sound. And I ended up putting him in a playlist that I have, an ongoing playlist on Spotify that I have titled Actually Good Christian Songs um, with the description, you know what I mean, because you know what I mean. There's not there's not a lot out there that's good just for its inherent beauty as as music. Yeah. and his fits that bill. Like it's really about good stuff and it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound 
Christian. And I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I understand exactly what you mean. As I someone think. who is raised on the other. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The other stuff. I'll need to All look right. into that. I, mean, I definitely yeah. want to listen in because you said the shins and yeah. boy, do I love the shins. I do too. I do too. It's really good stuff. Yeah. All right. So Seth, what are you reading, watching, or listening to that's adding more truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? I picked up a copy of Infinite Country. It's a novel by Patricia Engel. I just started it yesterday. I only read like five pages because I was cooking dinner. Um, But I'm so excited about this novel and cannot wait to finish it. And I want to read to you the first sentence, if I may. Please do. It was her idea to tie up the nun. (laughs) Such a good first sentence. Doesn't that make you want to just keep reading? It does. And it almost makes me mad because it's like, dang it, you came up with a good story. I bet. Um, That's fantastic. I love that because I've been reading up lately as I've been working on my fiction about good first lines. So that's, that's solid. Oh, that's a killer first line. And it's the kind, and it's in a standalone, it's a standalone sentence opening and then it moves into the second paragraph. It's, Hmm. it was so right. And I don't know if that's the way that she uh, originally wrote it or if there was a hell of an editor behind her that said, you need to cut everything else out of this paragraph or move it into the second paragraph. But whoever made that decision is brilliant. I love that first line. So it was so good. I I opened it up last night and I just immediately cackled out loud and read it to Amber (laughs) who cackled out loud. Um, And then I sat down and just kind of read for 20 minutes. I don't know how far I am in, but it's, it's, it delivers line after line. It's um, it's such a good Mm -hmm. story so far. It just pulls you through when you finish reading a sentence you want to read the next sentence you know have you read the george saunders book about the russian short stories no but you've told me about it and it's on my list it, i actually am planning to read it this summer it's so good so books I'm read. yeah it's so good but one of the things nice. that he he says is um you know he, he i guess i don't remember if this was based on his work or someone else's but i think an editor read some of his short stories or some of his work or something and he was looking for some feedback and the editor wouldn't really give him any feedback. Um, and he said, well, why did you like the story then? Like, why are you publishing it? You've given me nothing. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, when I got to the end of one sentence, I just wanted to read the next one. And that was <laughs> the whole rationale for why the guy liked the story. It had huh. nothing to do with arc or character or anything like that. This is one of those books where when you finish a sentence, you want to read the next sentence. That to me is a good review. I, I get that reasoning. So Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm excited to see where it goes and That's maybe good. I'll report back. I wonder if we should do, you know, because we're coming up on the summer here in the Northern Hemisphere and it's a time when people start digging into more fiction and get to that list of books that they keep meaning to read. I wonder if we should do a little like rundown of here's some good stories we've enjoyed lately. Yes, let's. Yeah, that'd be good. Because to me, this sounds like a really good summer book. Like, you know, not in a shallow beach read way, but in a just good get lost in a, in it's, a good story. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you know, and I won't, I won't give any spoilers. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to know what the story's about, you can go look at the jacket cover. But I mean, there's definitely some, you know, some justice issues there. It's an immigration story. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some stuff that it's, it's, it's definitely literary fiction. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. only like 185 pages, you know, it's a shorter nice. novel, which mm-hmm. you know how I'm a fan of that. Um, yep. I think Bears in the Yard is probably going to pull in somewhere around 185 pages. I mean, it's like, I just <laughs> like yeah. fiction that straddles that line between novella and novel. Um, yeah. And this seems, this seems to be, to be there. 
Nice. I just added it to my cart, man. I'm going to read it. So It's Very good. Cool. So nice. far, it's good. All right. Well, cool. Well, it's time to wrap it up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. And it is where you can support the show for just a few bucks. It's where you can find the show notes. So if you want to look at this book, if you want to look at anything we mention or, you know, talk about, we will link to it there. So again, that is at adrinkwithafriend.com. And you can find me personally and all my work at tishoxenwriter.com. And I've got everything else linked there for one-stop shopping. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at sethhaines.com. Everything's there. My Instagram handle, my Twitter handle, all of it. It's all right there. There you go. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenreiter, and Seth and I will be back here in your earbuds soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>